Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Turn with me to Psalm 111, and we'll look at uh, 111 tonight, Lord willing, 112 next week. What's kind of cool is they form uh, a bit of a pair. Psalm 111 has its as its theme um, the, the many reasons to praise God. And then Psalm 112 has as its theme the many blessings of godly living. And um, one thing we don't get to see in English translations, uh, but both of these psalms, um, they're acrostics in the Hebrew, meaning that each verse begins with a successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, you know, we're, we're very blessed to have God's Word, aren't we? Yeah. Like, we have it... Um, I mean, I got one Bible here, I got about four in there, and I got about four at home, and I got, I think, four to six on my phone. And um, they didn't have that when this was written. I mean, they had scrolls in the temple. Most people didn't have, have them in their home. One way they would learn to memorize God's Word is through having acrostics like this, the first verse being A, and the second verse starting with, well, for us, B, right? And um, so, I mean, that... It's amazing. Uh, we don't get to see that because in our English translation, it doesn't start that way. Um, and it's obvious that, and a lot of commentators will mention this in commentaries on Psalm 111, 112, that takes an incredibly skilled author to do that, to make it actually have meaningful content um, when, you, when you make an acrostic like that. And I would say, yeah, the Holy Spirit's a pretty skilled author, isn't he? Um, God, throughout his word, he calls us to praise him. God is very specific about how he wants to be praised, why we should praise him, and so forth. And that's what we have here in Psalm 111. It's a pattern for praise. Let's read it. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He hath showed his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever. And they're done in truth and uprightness. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. Let's pray. God, we are coming to your word now. We want to know what it is you want us to know uh, from Psalm 111. Uh, Even more than that, uh, we want your word to change us. We know that it's alive and it's powerful, and that's your intent. You want the Holy Spirit to wield it in the lives of Christians. 
uh, so that you can use it to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. I pray that would happen here tonight. Throughout your word, you tell us to praise you. You call us to. You command us to. Uh, it is the reason we were born. It is the reason we were born again, was to glorify you and magnify you and give you praise. We want to do it the way you want us to do it. Help us to learn that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 1, we find a, a commitment to praise actually after a command to praise, uh, the first four words there of verse one in English, praise ye the Lord. It's actually only one word, uh, maybe a hyphenated double word in Hebrew. It's hallelujah. That's what it is in, in Hebrew. Um, and here God commands us to give him praise at the beginning of verse one. Uh, whoever the human author that the Holy Spirit to uh, inspired to write Psalm 111 was, um, maybe it was David. I don't know. It doesn't say in the superscript. Maybe it was Asaph. A worship leader in David's time, maybe it was, um, it might have been Moses, he wrote one of the other Psalms. Whoever it was, they were a leader. They're leading God's people to worship. And the best way to lead is by example, right? And so following the command to praise, praise ye the Lord, the psalmist here, he offers his own commitment to praise, I will praise the Lord. And then please notice how he goes about praising God. He's going to do it with my whole heart. Does God deserve anything less? I mean, honestly, if we gave him our whole heart, that's, that's insignificant, really. I mean, he deserves so much more. And, and that's always rather convicting to me because it implies a reality that's too often my experience. Uh, I mean, I might be faithful in assembling together with, with God's people to worship, uh, to praise him every time the church doors are open. I might even daily praise the Lord in my uh, personal time with him as I go about life during the week. But when I'm doing that, am I doing it with my whole heart? heart. And I'm forced to admit that uh, oftentimes in my daily devotional time, um, it, I might be rushed or I'm easily interrupted by thoughts and maybe other distractions, things clamoring for my attention. Too often my offerings of praise, even here at church, it, it caught me, you know. I want to sing to the Lord just two minutes ago when we were all singing together. My thoughts were elsewhere, not necessarily on bad things, I was worried about Wallace. I was praying for Wallace there. I suppose I'm praising the Lord that way too. You know, but I'm so easily distracted and I'm caught and I'm like, I'm just kind of going through the motions here. And we can even find ourselves just feeling like this is just routine or maybe mundane, sometimes thoughtless praise. Definitely something that's less than wholehearted as we're told to praise the Lord here. So by example, verse one encourages us to give God more, to give him what he deserves, our whole heart. That's what we ought to be offering to God whenever we come together uh, to worship him. And that's going to take some intentionality. It's going to take some devotion, but he's worth it. He's worth it, isn't he? Amen. And uh, the end of verse 1 gives us some additional content about what our praiseworthy God desires when we worship him together. God's word makes it clear that he desires that his people worship him together, not just here. There's other places. Uh, I, I've heard people tell me, I'm sure you have too, well, I don't go to church. I, I can worship God anywhere. I can worship him in a tree stand or on a golf course or something of that nature. And, and they're right. You can and you ought to. You should be worshiping God 24-7 all of your life. Um, but you cannot obey God. You cannot obey God's word without worshiping the Lord together corporately. 
He commands us to. Uh, here he says, in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Those aren't just uh, synonyms. Um, they're different words in Hebrew with different meanings. Assembly meaning a smaller group, maybe something like Sunday school class or a Bible study, something like that. Congregation meaning probably something a little larger like we got going on here tonight. And then in verses 2 to 9, really the main body of this psalm, we're given a catalyst for praise. Uh, what should be the content of our praise? Uh, what is it that should motivate us to praise God? And these verses here, they give us the specifics, and God wants that. Our praise to the Lord should extend beyond a praise the Lord. Now, I probably said that about seven times a day when people told me something they were happy about. I was thinking that when I talked to Chip, you know, and I was glad to see you here, and you're doing better. Things are coming along. Praise the Lord. And um, we ought to say that, but but it ought to be a little bit more like praise the Lord for blank. You know, I tell my wife I love her all the time. Does that, do you like that? you like it better when I tell you I love you because, yes, right? And I get specific. Um, and so we got a list here. But before that list begins, verse 2 gives us this fact. The works of the Lord are great. Okay, we know that. And then it gives us this factor. They are sought out by all of them that have pleasure therein. Now, God, God's works being great, that's indisputable. Uh, you can't go out the door and look at all creation and not admit to that. But let's consider that last phrase of verse 2. Are God's works, are they sought out by you? I'm sure you have pleasure in them. What does that mean? In the Hebrew, sought out is darash. It means studied. And if you've got a modern English translation, it might say something like that. The works of the Lord are, are studied. Do you study God's works? And again, we're pointed to an intentionality in our praise to the Lord. I mean, we can go out that door and drive home and not look at the sunset or not look at all the trees and go, the works of the Lord are great. We could just see them and not really understand the great works of the Lord. Uh, we can wake up and, and, and just get, hop in the shower, get dressed, head off to work and not realize that, you know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. The works of the Lord are great. There's so many things all around us. Do you study the works of the Lord being great? You know, and uh, the idea here is diligently meditating, pausing to really think and consider about God's great works. I hope we've been doing that each Wednesday as we've been uh, tracking a course here through the, the Psalms the past four years ago, remembering, pausing every Wednesday to meditate on who God is and what God has done, maybe for others who are his people in the past. Maybe that will refresh our memory for what he's done for us so that we have fuel for our faith in what God has promised. Now let's look at this list of catalysts for praise. There's something different here at the beginning of verse 3. It's not God's works, plural, that begin the list. It's his work. His work, singular. Now I want you to consider something. Uh, all of God's works, plural, could they all be combined to achieve one primary, all-inclusive work singular? I think so. And if so, what, what might that be? Well, what is it that God is most concerned with? Why don't you think about that? What does is, what is God's word tell us that God is most concerned about according to his word? And it, it might come to a shock to us because we're not supposed to be like this, right? But what is God most concerned about? His glory. Yeah, bringing glory to him. Now, there's different ways that happens. He's very concerned about us knowing his love for us so that we glorify him by receiving Jesus Christ as Savior, so that Christ is magnified. 
But yeah, it's his glory that, that God might be magnified and glorified. That's why he created this whole wor- world. Uh, that's why you were born. That's why you were born again, was to bring him glory. Um, and I think we could conclude that his greatest singular work, well, what all of his other works combined to achieve for his glory, is the redemption that's ours in Jesus Christ. And there's more on that later in verse 9. Uh, to direct our, our minds and hearts to that work. But let's go back. Verse 3 describes that work as honorable and glorious and eternal. His righteousness endures forever. And verse 4 says that God has made his wonderful works to be remembered. Do we? I was thinking about that too while we were singing. I don't know if that's a distraction from praise. But I remember how much we prayed for Chip. And I thought, man, I should have got up there and praised the Lord for him. And we did that all right, at the beginning of the, the message here tonight. Do we remember his, his wonderful works? Uh, we offer prayers up, sometimes for years, decades maybe. And then when God answers that prayer, however he answers that prayer, do we give him praise in equal measure? Or is it like, well, thank you, God. Thank you for answering that prayer. And that was, that's all we offer him. And I'm reminded of the lepers that Jesus healed. right? And how many came back to give him praise? Just one. Just one. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. Do we pause in our busy schedules to do that and to praise him for them? I saw one right before I came. Daphne and the girls got to go see Lewis. Was it two years ago? Two years ago. Praise the Lord. Daphne was remembering his wonderful works. And you being here now, we're remembering them at this time. Um, do we bring them to mind? Or, or is his great goodness, which, I mean, that's what this is all about. Is his great goodness quickly forgotten? Or worse yet, do we begin to consider it as something deserved? Like we deserve that. And we take it for granted. So may we never forget how gracious God is, how full of compassion, just as it says here, our God is. May we never get so busy that we forget what verse 5 reminds us of. Um, every single thing we have, who is it from? It's from God. It's from him. Uh, even those basic things like food, it says, He hath given meat unto them that fear him. Maybe your version says food, and that's the idea here. But actually in the Hebrew, it's meat, and it's a specific time type of, of meat. All you hunters, that's what it's talking about. It's like food you go out and, and hunt for. Um, But it's God who gives it to you. I know that's the case whenever I go hunting. It's sure not any skill I have. If if I got something, it's because God brought the animal along. (laughs) Uh, It's God who does that. He has given it to those that fear him. And I'm reminded of the old hymn, uh, Great is thy faithfulness. All, All I've needed, his hand has provided. God's faithfulness is great to us. Um, And that's always going to be the case. Look at the end of verse 5. It says, he'll ever be mindful of his covenant. Well, which covenant? Because there's a lot of them. I mean, there's the Abrahamic from Genesis 12. There's the Mosaic, Exodus 24. There's the Davidic covenant. And unless you're Jewish, not a whole lot of those apply directly to you. But... um, There's one that's for us and that fulfills all those other ones, right? The new covenant that's ours in Jesus Christ. And God promises us here, and he calls for us to praise him here forever being mindful of his covenant. 
His mind is full of it. He's not going to forget what he's promised you in Jesus Christ forever. Uh, All that God is for you and I in Christ, that is a rock-solid, reliable promise, a covenant, because he is rock-solid and reliable. He's unchanging. Look at verse 6. It tells us that God has showed his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage uh, of the heathen. He showed us as we've gone through the Psalms. We've been reminded. That's one of the things that God does in the Psalms. He reminds us of what he has done so that we have uh, strength for our faith to believe in what he's promised to do. It says that, uh, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. You know, on this side of heaven, uh, like that other old hymn says, a Christian, we can be satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver, a little gold. Because one day our king is going to come and return, and everything he has will be ours. We're going to reign with him. And um, and Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, even in the Beatitudes at the beginning, what did he promise those who are his? The meek shall inherit the earth. Those who humbly come to him and are trusting in him. Um, C.S. Lewis once said, you aim at heaven, and you're going to get the earth thrown in. You aim at the earth, you be preoccupied, you be passionate about the here and now like a lost person is. You aim at the earth, you're going to get neither. Neither. Verses 7 and 8 offer us additional catalyst for praise. The works of his hands, says our verity and judgment, King James words meaning truth and justice. And I like this part, it says all of God's commandments are sure. Do you realize we have this assurance that all of God's works are truth and justice, that the Christian, we can, we can rest in the sovereignty of God because in his omniscience, that he's all-knowing, so he knows what's best for us. And in his great love, God wants what is best for us. And in, in his omnipotent sovereignty, God alone has the power to bring what's best for us up to pass. I just exhale when I consider that truth. I can trust him. I should trust him. Verses 7 and 8 also remind us all of his commandments are sure. All of them. They're sure. What does that mean? It means they're reliable. When God uh, gives us some command, we know it is for us. Because he's for us. Uh, His commands stand fast forever and ever. They're done in truth and righteousness. They're for our good. When God gives us a command, it's not to restrict us. It's to help us live in the freedom and the joy that he has planned for us. So when Satan comes to us, just like he came to Adam and Eve, and he tempts us to question that, that God's just trying to pin you down or box you in. He doesn't want what's best for you. When Satan does that, we have this truth right here to quiet his lies, we can say, no, I'm going to do what God says, and I'm not going to do what God says not to do, because his commandments are sure. They're they're reliable. He knows what's best for me. He, He wants what's best for me. And so in faith, I'm going to believe it, and in faith, I'm going to obey him. We got one more catalyst here, one more reason to praise him in verse nine, and we briefly hit on this back in verse three. God sent redemption unto his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. The redemption mentioned here, it's a look back on God saving his people from the bondage and slavery of Egypt. That was what was in the psalmist's mind. Um, It's an Old Testament type, Old Testament metaphor of what you and I have in Jesus Christ, the salvation that we have in Christ. 
And our salvation's a pretty good reason for praise, isn't it? I mean, I don't know what's going on in your life. You, you could have been having the worst day ever, the worst year ever. But if you have Jesus Christ, let me tell you this. You ought to think about that and praise the Lord for the salvation you have in Christ. Amen. You know, um, we, can, we can go to Jesus talk a lot about hell. And we could go to some of those passages and just be reminded of where we were headed and what we deserved. And even on the worst of days, we can sing praise to God. Because of salvation, the redemption that's ours in, in Jesus Christ. That we've been rescued from the bondage and slavery of sin. That we've been rescued from eternal death. And we've been offered eternal life through God's grace by faith in Jesus. And that redemption is eternal. It's a covenant he commanded forever. That's what he says here. Uh, that, that's something worthy of praising God for forever. The eternal security we have in Christ. And verse 9 ends this way. Holy and reverent is his name. The English word reverend here is, is yareh in Hebrew, and it means awesome. It means worthy of fear. I told David Kirby I was going to talk about him tonight. I've got to tell, Bubba likes to give me a hard time because he knows how much I hate the word reverend when it's applied to people like me, a position or a title. I don't know where that started. I don't know when. I don't know who started it. Um, in God's word, uh, I found it here, and who's it talking about here? Not talking about me. I'm not awesome. I'm pretty great, but I'm not awesome, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm not worthy of fear. I'm not. That's something that goes to God and, and to God alone. And what does it say here? God's name is. God's name is awesome. His name is worthy of fear. I don't know how to put myself in that same category, meaning everything. When it says God's name and you come across that, especially in the Old Testament, it's talking about everything that God has revealed himself to be for us. That's awesome. And that's worthy of our fear. That's worthy of our joyful submission to him and our joyful submission to his will. And I love how this psalm ends. Verse 10 wraps up this whole pattern for praise to God in such a meaningful way. There's no superscript here telling us who the human author is, but I believe it's David. And the reason for that is the first line of verse 10. We see here the climax of praise. I think this first phrase is something David often told his son Solomon. God inspired Solomon to write the book of Proverbs, and we find this truth in Proverbs 1-7 and Proverbs 9-10, that the fear of the Lord is a beginning of wisdom. Uh, living the blessed life in a personal relationship with God, that's going to be our subject uh, for next uh, Wednesday uh, when, in Psalm 112. But, but that starts here. Living the blessed life, it has to start here. The fear of the Lord is a beginning of wisdom. The beginning of you being able to apply knowledge and discernment in life. I've met a lot of smart people. They weren't wise because they didn't fear the Lord. Without a fear of the Lord, there's no possible way of living in victory uh, over sin. Uh, there's no living in the blessing of God on your life. Uh, the fear of the Lord, having a joyful submission to God's will for your life, that, that's the launch point. That's the very beginning for success and living the good life that God's promised us, what we'll read about in Psalm 112 and study together next week. Uh, now look at the next phrase there in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now look at this phrase. But a good understanding have all they that do his commandments. So it's got to start there by fearing God, by knowing what he wants, by knowing who he is. I mean, what you think about God, that's the most important thing in your life. What you, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. It's got to start there. But a good understanding of all they that do his 
commandments. And so while a fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding, have all they that do is commandment, that right there, that's a continuation of wisdom. It's the application of the fear of the Lord in your life, doing God's commandments, obeying God's commandments, being a doer of the word, as James says, and not just a hearer. And when this is true for you, when this is a reality in your life, then you've taken this pattern of praise God's given us here, and you've made it practical. Look at the last phrase. His praise endures forever. That's not just a closing thing, like, okay, I'm, I'm done writing Psalm 111, I'm just to close this. It's not an amen or something like that. Um, it's not unconnected to the first two phrases there in verse 10. Now, there's a connection here. His praise endures forever. What he's talking about here is when you have a fear of the Lord, you have that right understanding, the beginning of wisdom. And when you're finally making that practical and you're doing his commandments, do you know what happens? His praise endures forever. Now, we're going to leave here in a little bit, and we're not going to sing anymore. Well, you might sing on the way home, or you might sing when you get home. You can do that. That's fine. But, but when you live this way, when you live with a fear of the Lord, and you live obeying God's commands, do you understand that's a song that's never done? That's praise being given to God that just never stops. But we get a picture of heaven and revelation, and there's these angels and these funny-looking creature angels around the throne. And, and for all eternity past and not in eternity future, they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. They just sing it over and over and over, and you and I can do that too. But how we live without even really opening our, our mouths and actually singing musical notes or singing lyrics by, by living, by doing his commandments, by, by living in a fear of the Lord. That, that's a life song that never ends. It doesn't stop when we walk out of corporate worship. It's the climax of praise. That's what God's telling us here. Yes, I want you to praise me with your lips, and here's all these reasons why, but even more than that, I want you to praise me with your lives by how you live. Fearing the Lord, obeying his commands. You know, the main section of this psalm, it gave us a long list of reasons to praise the Lord. In verse 1, gave us a command to do it. And then it invited us in verse 1 to commit along with the psalmist to praise God. But it's in verse 10 that the praise God is worthy of and the praise that God so dearly desires it is laid out so clearly for us, a lifestyle of praise. What does Paul call it in Romans 12, 1 and 2? Being a living sacrifice. It begins with the fear of the Lord, and it continues on. It's manifested by you and I obeying God's commands. And by faith, we offer to God that way a form of praise that endures forever. We could join those angels singing holy, holy, holy by, by how we live. It's this never-ending, continual song that's celebrating God's worth and bringing him glory. Will you do that? Will you do that? Would you commit to do that tonight? Tommy, praise team, you can come up and, and help us sing together, offer praise to God.